Hello, everyone, and welcome to another new perspective, the podcast that brings you wisdoms and perspectives from all walks of life. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Bob and I are back this morning, and uh, we have some interesting topics that kind of just came up this morning randomly. And uh, well, not totally random because if you listen to the last one, you kind of know things that have gone on recently in my life. Uh, but we're in a different stage of that now, where you know, what do you use to grieve? How do you? What's the what's the best ways? Is there a best way? Anything like that that you know we can think about? Um, so good morning, Bob. Good morning, Joe. So last session, which is a few weeks ago, and I think I just posted, I think, last week, so there's a little delay in there, but obviously for easy reasons. Um, we started talking this morning about, you know, is there, I guess, a really a good way to grieve? Is there, like, ways to think about that in regards to, well, I guess the thought I was having is that, you know, my dad passing away is the feeling I'm having where I don't feel like I'm as devastated. Um, even a couple weeks out already than I that I feel I should be or, or I perceived myself being at some point in my life where I'm like my dad finally leaves me am I going to be devastated for a couple months am I going to be devastated for like a few weeks or is it going to be years um, so it's been really interesting and there's some thing, tips and tools that I've used my whole life because obviously not all, all of us get a chance to say goodbye over an extended period of time and that's something I had I knew what was happening years and years in advance and was able to recognize that and I think that's the biggest piece too is being able to accept that someone isn't healthy anymore and they and they are leaving you eventually and to be able to like um, not live in a denial or a selfish state where you're going to act like they're always just going to be there and they're going to get fine one day and they're all going to be better or you start the process of them leaving a couple years early so that's something I did with my dad. I started sending him letters and having conversations with him about life and death two and a half years prior to him leaving. So now it's two weeks after, and I feel very calm, very peaceful about the whole thing. I um, talk to him every day in the air, just like he's standing here in front of me. So I feel like he's very much a part of my world still, but you just can't see him or touch him. So. Um, do you want to add anything to that? Well, you have your own personal it, experience with this. It's interesting. Yeah, we had, you know, losing my mother and my father and, and then a sister and then my daughter, but all of, all of them were different. But it's interesting, since you're talking about your dad, my dad passed away in 1983. Okay. And, and Joe, I think about him and my mother almost every day. And so I like to write some poetry, and, and sometimes I write... Actually, I write letters to my daughter who passed away. Every year I write her a letter on the day she died and, and her birthday. And uh, and sometimes it's poetry, but sometimes I'm letting her know about her two sons and all of that. But this past year, 2019, I, I was trying to write something to my dad, <coughs> poetry. And, and I started like the beginning, of, and I had pieces in one room and pieces. And finally, yesterday, I sat down because I—I I mean, it's—it's it's like disturbing my sleep because I'm, 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 as we talk about, like I'm, my composition is being formed, and as I write, it comes out easy because I've mm -hmm. been thinking about it so much. Yeah. But so, you know, my dad's spirit's still there. Your dad's spirit is still there, and then 
because you will see all of the things that he helped develop in you and you'll see how you respond to people and so it's it really is nice so yeah. um, it's interesting you mentioned the letter thing because actually uh, so my journal this has been it was a very interesting because um, you know everybody's like you have to write in your journal every day well I live a very disciplined life right. and I do very certain things every single day right. but when I started my journal I wrote in my journal saying that I'm only going to stop by when I feel like I need to stop by I don't want to create a discipline out of something I found right. joyful or needed or whatever. Right. So like, I don't go in my journal every single day. I write in my journal when I feel the draw or feel right. the need to write in my journal. So it was the Tuesday before he went into a coma that I got a video of him running up the steps, chasing the kids up the steps. Now after three strokes, to see someone run up the steps chasing kids, it was kind of like, oh my God, dad's right. doing really well. Wednesday he fell on the ice, Thursday he was in a coma, never came back out of the coma. Right. So in my journal, I see an entry, the, the last entry was, dad's doing great, I'm excited, I'm gonna go home for a whole week, I'll get to hang out with him, all this kind right. of stuff. Well then the very next journal entry was me laying next to him, or sitting next to him while he was in a coma at the hospital. And then the third journal entry was me writing to myself and to him after he passed away. So it was like three journal entries that were like, right. just mind-blowingly different. And here you are amazing, here you are in a coma, and here you are, now you're right. gone. Right. But when you, going back to the letter thing is, what truly helped me was to, in my journal, I wrote a letter as if I was gonna send it to him, as I was gonna mail it to him. And it was a very, I was very surprised how healing that was to, yeah. uh, to write that letter. Right. Knowing that it's not gonna go anywhere, it's in my journal, right. it's not even actually gonna be put in an envelope, it's literally right. just part of my world now. Well, yesterday when I finished, I tried reading what I wrote because it's like two pages to my wife. I couldn't. Couldn't you read it? I couldn't, no, because I was crying. Mm -hmm. So she read, and then I, I got up this morning. I made some changes, and I'm sure it's not going to be done yet. But with each with each experience I had with my my father, my mother, my sister Mary, and my daughter, they're all different, and I don't want to re reiterate what we, you and I have talked about a couple of times, you know, like just watching how they are at the end of their life, it, it kind of comes back again. But it's interesting that with my my sister Mary, who was older than me, was really uh, loved her, loved my father, mm -hmm. and uh, and he had a business, and she was like, she was like 14 years old, and she was like the supervisor. She just loved it, and uh, but she she went into a, a, like a coma, but she wouldn't die until the day of my father's birthday. Oh, really? Yeah. So she died May 26th, and it's interesting that in that particular year, Father's Day landed on my sister Mary's birthday. Oh, wow! I mean. So yeah, it's kind of weird. Like it's kind of kind of strange. And yeah. then with my mother, I'm not sure I talked about this before, but uh, my mother had Alzheimer's, and and as as I did mention before, you go in, and I'm sure you did the same with your dad. You go in, and he he looks like he's not even breathing, and you look up and you say, God, maybe it's time to take him. And then he smiles and you say, No, God, not not yet, not yet. And then yeah. you come back. Then the next day he's just sad, and you say, God. And then the next day he's smiling. Well, with my mother, that 
one of the on, on one one of the last times I saw her, I was with my daughter, and we were supposed to go to a, a service by uh, Rosie Greer, the football player. It was like a minister, and he's, he was appearing in the city of Four Rivers. So Leslie wanted to go see him, so we went. And when we went there, the lead pastor said, I'm sorry, the paper had the wrong date. Rosie Greer is coming next week. But the verses he talked about was in a book of James. And I went home and I said, oh, man, that's why I had to be there. Mm -hmm. Because it, it, it like, applied to what was happening in my life. And then we went and see my mother. And her pulse, as I mentioned before, was so slow. And I said, you know, Lord, you know, take her. And then I think it was a Friday night. As I was going into my bedroom, Elaine was sleeping. It was about 11 o'clock at night, and we had a, a bureau, and I had a remote on top of the bureau, and we had a ceiling light and a fan, and I walked in the room, and all of a sudden, a light went on, and a fan went on, and Elaine woke up, and she says, excuse me? That's kind of rude. I said, Elaine, the remote's on the bureau. I didn't touch anything. Yeah. And so I looked up, and I said, God, you're taking my mother. And 20 minutes later, the nursing home called me and said, your mother just passed away. So, And we never had an electrical problem. We never had to call out. Yeah. And then the other thing with my daughter was that at the end of her life, she had two boys, a two-year-old and a six-year-old, and her and her husband were struggling to keep the marriage going, and she was upset with him about a few things, and... Uh, and my two sons were up with her and stayed with her in a room, and, and she was with us. She died at our home. She had hospice. And, uh, okay. and she was looking up at the corner of the ceiling, and she was waving her hand, and she was nodding her head. To, it seemed like she was saying, I'm not going yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not going. I don't know what was going on. And my, my son, who's a past, past the dead, is probably an angel calling her in. And she wasn't going until the next day her husband came, and somehow they communicated, okay. and whatever was going on between them was settled, and she passed away. Okay. So the three different instances that were very, very, or four that were very close to me, all had something unusual. Yeah. And you had mentioned that your your dad passed away around the time of his happiest day of the year. Oh, Thanksgiving yeah. or something. Yeah, exactly. And then there's actually something interesting because my sister-in-law, she's always, you know, when people talk about spirits and talk about, like, seeing the right. other side or right. being on the right. fringe or whatever, and right. I think some people are Well, yeah, to you the told me about other. that. That was interesting. Yeah. You know, and she's like, she asked my brother when they were standing there in the hospital when he was still in a coma, asked who these three names were. You know, and these are the three names that were gone long before she was around in our family, and one of them long gone before I was even born. And uh, she goes, Kevin, who is Dale, Tim, and Arthur? And he's like, Well, that's his two brothers and his dad. And he goes, Why would, why, like, why, how did you even know their names? It's like, Well, they're standing here in the room with us. You know, and right. like they talk about that, that your loved ones come and help you across. Right. And the other thing that my uncle told me, um, his wife was dying of cancer, and they had been together 50-some years, and and she, um, he goes, you need to let go, I'll be fine, like, you know, you need, you can just let go now and, and move on, and, and she goes, I can't get across the bridge yet, and that's what she kept telling him, 
and the la- he shared this with me on Thanksgiving after her dad passed away and he came over and he says the last word she ever said to me was I've gotten across the bridge and then she passed away wow so we don't I mean that, that's the thing we don't know it's, it's our belief of where this other person goes and like right. I, I truly feel dad's with me all the time now like right. very much as I was writing that journal entry prior to him passing while I was sitting at waves in the coma I could already start to feel that power that you're given or shared yeah. with from this yeah. person leaving you know yeah. it was very powerful you know to have yeah. that but when dad was leaving I knew I had to come home and not be around I didn't know because I had to come back from work and I saw you guys that Monday right. and I knew I couldn't stay I had to come back here and he passed while I was here so I had to go right. home right after that yeah. but um he um I told him I was like look I know you don't want to be here right your sister told me right so I know you don't want to be here anymore Um, so but I also didn't want to encourage him to stay but I also didn't want to say goodbye so I kept it very diplomatic and I said look I said you can stay as long as you want to stay I'm leaving it up to you but don't stay because of me Right. right so I have to leave I have to go now Okay. Right, and so I had to give him that permission. I was like, yeah. "I'm giving you permission, my permission, that I'll be fine. You yeah. can go now, right? But I have to go home." And he always knew that. He always yeah. knew that I, I didn't, I, I lived away from home almost longer than I have yeah. at home. So that was nothing new to him. Right. But the other thing that happened with him, he doesn't remember this week in the hospital, but the interaction that him and I had, um, it was uh, he had a, his third like very major stroke on that Monday. Tuesday, I got there around seven o'clock that evening. Wednesday night, everybody left the room and him and I had a conversation together. And he was telling me how, that he was afraid of dying. And he's, I'm not ready yet, I'm, not, I'm afraid, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And uh, we kind of talked a little bit and then that, it was like that Saturday, I was gonna leave and I got the chance to be, it was just my girlfriend and I, to be in the room with the nurse and helping her care for him. I helped him give him a bath. I helped him like change mm-hmm. the lens on the bed and like clean my dad up and hold him up and do all these things for him. And uh, as I got him, I'll, I'll never forget the image of this, is when he was laying in bed, he looked like royalty. He was all perched up, he was clean, he was yeah. like relaxing in bed, kind of perched up a little yeah. bit. Like everything was okay. Everything was good. Everything was just like A-okay. Yeah. It's completely peaceful. Yeah. And I went over and I gave him a hug and I looked at him and I was like, are you still afraid of dying? And he looked at me back in my face and he goes, not anymore. And that's the last thing I said. So he was able to talk then? That was the first, yeah, after that third stroke. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, he didn't talk very much prior to that, did he? Mm-mm. No, because well, no, we, we had talked, we just had random, conver- just bit of, bits of conversation or whatever. Okay. You know, but what was interesting was he was saying, and this is what I tell people all the time, like when I was at home when he was in a coma, I talked to him like he was wide awake the whole time. Yeah, and yeah. everybody thought I was a Looney Tune. They're like, why are you yeah. talking to him like that? He can't hear you. And he doesn't have his hearing aids yeah. in. I was like, yeah. he can hear me. Yeah. I know he can. Because yeah. that Wednesday night when I was in there, he was like, man, it was really overwhelming in here the other night. And I was like, you mean last night when I got here? Because yeah. it's Tuesday night. Everybody got really loud when I got there. Like, yeah. hey, look who's here. Hey, you know what yeah, that is? Yeah, like, all this yeah. kind of stuff. And he goes, no, 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 the other night. And I was like, Monday? He goes, I wasn't here yet. He goes, I know. So he was laying there unresponsive, completely unconscious, and everybody was like worried and like, 
having all those all these reactions mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And he was laying there listening to all of this, unable to tell them to be quiet because he needed to rest. So he was there, literally trapped in his own body, listening to everything in the room and couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So it was like, I know he's listening to me, and I'm going to keep talking to him like I know yeah. he's listening to me. Yeah. Yeah. So. I know, too, because uh, our daughter Leslie stayed with us at the end. And uh, it, all the small things were important. It wasn't the giant stuff. I couldn't wait to come home from school to make her a cup of tea. Yeah. I couldn't wait to come home and she said, Dad, want, can we go for a ride? I couldn't wait. I, I, I couldn't wait to do all the like, small things for her. Like, so the moments were like, all of a sudden the moments become oh, they're amazing. really Very powerful. Yeah. You, know? you know, it's too bad we don't think about that more clearly when things are really good. You know? Yeah, it, it, time in life passes so fast. Yeah. You know, and like, I would come home when dad was still at home and everything was remotely fine. Right. But his toenails got really bad. It was mostly from the kidney disease and all the right. medicine he was on and all this kind of stuff. Right. And, but he couldn't do it himself. And it yeah. saddened me a little bit that, you know, he could never get anybody to cut his toenails for him. Right. So he said, well, someone said, well, go up and have someone done it, do it professionally. Well, you go to a, a manicurist or whatever, and they're going to, like, po- try to polish your toes up because they're right. expecting someone right. to have, like, right. nice toes. Well, he didn't, like, because he had very bad feet, very right. bad toenails. Yeah. So I would sit there every time I came home, and I would help him clean his feet up. Yeah. You know, and for me, like, it was very powerful to be able to it sit was. there and, like, care for him. Right. Right, and take that time because right. I, w- I don't live there. So me coming home and then spending those weeks with him, that was right. every moment I had with him for that week was right. powerful. Yeah. Right. Every conversation, every little little thing that we did together yeah. or Now did he do that for you when you were younger? Oh yeah. Well see he passed it on. So you did it for him. Oh yeah. It, well that's it, that's that was the one thing I told him, like um I mean it, it kinda goes back, you know, how we've lived most of our lives, you know, growing or not really growing up, but like through the through the the history. Right. I'm the oldest son, right? So when I told him that Wednesday, and I told him again before I left, I was like, "Don't worry about your family. I will take care of them." Yeah. I was like, and I felt like I was like passing the torch. Like, right. you've done all you needed to do. I'm fine now, right? Yeah. I appreciate everything you gave me, everything you taught me. Now, now we're taking it. I'm gonna, we're gonna pass the torch, and I'm right. gonna care for you and make sure that everything you get right to the very end right. is everything that you deserve. Right. So, and that's kind of how I started processing that. Yeah, the other thing too with going through that, I remember there's some things that my dad did that I did not like. At I the end? No, it's, oh, in his life. lifetime. I yeah. mean, he uh, he liked to gamble. Okay. Yeah, he came from such a humble background, so that you know he liked the track and he liked the dogs and he liked the booking numbers and all of that bothered my mother and all of that bothered me. It didn't bother my older sister Mary, who loved. I mean, she loved all of that. But so, and even when I was teaching, I tell the student, well, "Do I make mistakes? I make mistakes every day. So take the good that I have, yeah, and the the stuff that you think is bad." 
throw it away. And so the stuff that was good that my dad had uh, used, and the stuff that I didn't like, I didn't use, and I'm thankful for that. He, he also smoked, and he quit because he had a heart attack later on, but I mean, I hated the smell of smoke. Oh, he yeah. kissed me, and I just, I just, so I, 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 I don't smoke. You know? yeah. And, uh, but I mean, he had many more good things, but the few things, and I'm sure the same with me. I have th three children, and I'm sure there's some things in there that this, I'm not gonna do this like that, you know. Right. Uh, I'm not gonna do this like he did it. I'm gonna change it a little bit. So, um, so there's there's so much good in everyone, and it's so. And we're human. But also, uh, on another side of this, we have a friend who's a, a medical doctor, and he, this this lady just takes life. Hey, you live, you die. It's that simple to them, you know? You don't, you're not going to live forever. You live, you die. There's this, um, I had this, it popped into my head, and, you know, obviously I have a lot of philosophical thoughts and stuff. Right. And uh, it was right before her dad passed. And I was like, I'm not going to share that one yet because I don't think it's the right timing for other people. Right. But it's simple. It's like life happens every day until it doesn't. Yeah. You know, and you don't know. Like it's, you're either in it, right. doing it, living it, experiencing right. it, you know, and then one day you don't. Yeah. And my girlfriend, like, she has a really hard time with like traffic and stuff. And like, I don't blame her. Like, traffic out there is madness. Right. Right. Most people aren't paying attention, even if they're actually looking at the road their mind is on their phone their yeah. mind is somewhere else their mind is so busy right. that they're not present in the moment driving right. they're not in the now right they're not in the now yeah. and uh but she's like you know i told her i was like why i care but i really don't care that much because and it really upset her and she's like you don't care that your friends would get in a car accident and die and i was like no 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 it's like i truly would be devastated and care and be sad if a really good friend of mine in Florida or Washington State or any somewhere else in the world was killed in a car accident, absolutely would. But I can't live every single day of my life worrying that all of my friends are going to make it home every single day. I have to live now for me and care to a point that all of my friends are safe and care. There was a, a way I heard this years ago that was characters caring just not that much. And what that, what, how they explained that was like, everybody, whether they're your enemy or you're not your enemy or whatever, is that you care for their well-being, you care for their health, you care for the health of their family, you care for, you don't want anything bad to happen to their world. But I don't have to care so much that they are taking over all of my life. Right. Well, if, if you get so involved in the worry, then, then you can't take care of yourself and then eventually you can't take care of the person that you, you're exactly. caring about. Exactly. Uh, so you have to care for yourself too. Yeah, it's that balance now, of like keeping that cup full. Right. Now, <clears throat> getting back to the moments. Yeah. Uh, again, my, my oldest son is a pastor at a church and a couple of weeks ago he, he gave the message and said, you know, you're out of every day until Christmas, since this is our belief, until Christmas, Write down five blessings you have every day. Every day. I, I've been doing that, Joe. And, okay. and, and then it's like, oh, my goodness. I'm not even out of the living room yet. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I wake up. I have a bed. Some people don't have a bed. Right. I have a blanket. Some <clears throat> people don't have a blanket. I have heat. 
and it goes on and on. And we're yeah. sitting here. I could walk to get in here. I could drive. I mean, so yeah. w when you start to log that, then you become more aware of the moment. I say, oh my goodness gracious! Yeah, gratitude I have is so incredibly much. powerful. I have so much. Yeah, I don't. I, I have millions of things. Yeah, it's not like conscious. I I must have. I, I can see. I can hear, I can talk, we can think, we can reason. It's yeah. just amazing. No, it's so. incredible. And like that's yeah. why like they've been studying gratitude for thousands of years. And like I truly believe based on like my experiences in here and like how long I've been working on my projects yeah. and stuff, that gratitude is probably or blessings, gratitude right. is probably one of the most powerful things that we have as people. Because if you can get yourself down to the point where you're you know, just just the sheer thought that you opened your eyes. When yep. you open your eyes and the sun's out and you're like, I did it, I'm here. Yep. I'm back one more time. I'm yep. back one more time. I didn't I didn't pass away in my sleep. I didn't right. you know, whatever. Like all of my family's still here. I woke up and like now you can keep like you start at the smallest little piece yep. that you can and then each day you just keep expanding that. Like yep. I have this and I have that and I have and I have food and I have a bed and I have a house and I have right. like he, you know, warm. Yeah, comfort, you have water, hot yeah. water. Now, I, I keep going back to my parents, and because uh, my my mother was when I when I was in the sixth grade, I lost the sight of an eye, one eye. Okay. And uh, and at that time, that was back in that was back about 1950. So that operation was pretty intensive, and I was in the hospital a while, over a week. Oh wow! Okay. So, uh, when it was time to go back to school, my parents said, "Look, don't worry about getting promoted. You've been out of school. You know, just do the best you can, and you know, it's to be expected." Well, I had a teacher, Mr. Vidian, who sat with me every recess, every lunch, got me caught up in like two weeks. Oh wow! You know, so, uh, but I remember coming home from the hospital that. Day and my mother was with a friend and I was feeling sorry for myself that I couldn't see and now I got glasses and and, and my mother said it was a evening time she said you get in that bedroom and you think about this some people can't see period you still have one eye Bobby tomorrow morning when you get up you have this all solved yeah and the next morning I got up, it was all solved. And so my mother was always one like, if you lose sight, when I, Bob, you can still see. If you lost the leg, she said, you still got one leg. You can use right. canes. If, if, you, if you lost both arms, she said, you can use your feet. Yeah. So she was always like, you know, always making you see all the other possibilities that are there. That, you know, sometimes people get wrapped up in themselves. And, and so she made me aware of, hmm, okay. Yeah, there's a, a good friend of mine actually helped start our festival group up, and uh, yeah. he has that um, ma ma macular degeneration. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he went from being able to see everything yeah. to now he can see through like a pinhole basically in each yeah. eye, and like yeah, you know, because yeah. he can still use the computer a little bit, but he has to be like has to be as blown up as he can get it right. to be able to see it, yeah. you know. And he's going through a lot of depression right now. Right. I've tried to talk to him a few different times about it. It's like, you know, trying to let go. You know, sometimes it's that whole, um, and I'm only speaking from an outside perspective. So, like, 
I can only see it from how I would perceive myself maybe thinking about it, but I've never been in that situation. But at what point do you, are you still trying to hold on to the last little bit or would you let go and start to process your life the other way? Yeah. Right. Where you were like hanging on by a thread, trying to maintain, trying to hold on to something that you know is leaving you. Yeah. Right. It's almost like, um, how long do you hold on to our loved one? Well, when you get when you get older, Joe, it's hot. It's well, I'm not sure. An easy like that's thing. what like that's what's great because you it's, can add to that perspective. It's not, not, it's not an easy thing to get to an age you realize I can't do this anymore. I got to give this up, you know. Yeah. But again, where we live, we live in a uh, senior development. Uh, we have our own home and all of that, and, and we're very very active. But uh, I was riding my bicycle yesterday. And and sometimes I get frustrated because I I can't ride it as fast or as long, and then I see a lady in a wheelchair walking her dog. Yeah. You know, or then I'll go to the club and we have a swimming pool and and you know I might be struggling. So then I see a man walking with a walker. His legs can't even move, and he's gonna go work out. Yeah. And somehow it just I mean it's again. It's like perspective and, and realizing, oh my goodness, because we have so much. And, yeah. and you might lose some, but we talked about this before, but still, your father still had so much. You know, oh, yeah. At the end, and, and you wonder, wow, I didn't realize they had all that stuff yet. Yeah. I mean, not not physical stuff, but, you know, like physically for the body, not, not material stuff, but it's just... Yeah. It's, uh, well, so one of the most beautiful things that really hit me with being home and, and watching the whole process yeah. was realizing how much of a local celebrity he was. I mean, we had easily, on the low end, at least 300 people that came to the visitation, yeah. if not way more than that. Yeah. Um, the church was relatively full. We had, um, he worked at the county garage, that's how he rolled those dump yeah. trucks and stuff, and my sister went up to the county garage and they're like, hey, um, would you guys be interested in having a snowplow in the funeral procession? So we had the lead car, a snowplow with all the flashing <laughs> lights on, and then the hearse, and yeah. then the rest of us. Yeah. And it was the, one of the coolest things. And my mom nice, talked to one of the nice. guys at the county garage because they had to put names in a hat to figure out who was going to get the honor to like drive the dump truck. Really? And wow. I talked to my mom I think, last night or the day before. I think it was Sunday or Saturday and uh, she goes I saw one of the guys from the county garage and she, he, he was telling her there was 30 people 30 men put their names in a hat to find out who was going to get to drive the truck from my dad's funeral that's fantastic right I mean like, this is all stuff you didn't know I didn't know about your dad you know? yeah his own his own life he has his own life yeah and he was like in it there was like a there was a story from the newspaper where the house across the street from us, like a decade ago, caught on fire, and right. the parents were at church, and he didn't know if anybody was in there, and he looks, he runs over there quick, calls 911, runs over the house, and their daughter's sound asleep on the couch, and he's like banging on the door, banging on the windows and stuff like that, trying to get her awake, she never woke up, and then he kicked, got, like, busted the door down and saved her. Wow. And, uh, they were talking to her, I guess, and she, because um, she sent a really nice arrangement and stuff, and she told her son that he had passed away, and her her son was like, "Mommy, is that the guy that saved your life?" Wow. 
you know, to hear all these like just yeah, the wonderful stories that you didn't know about. Yeah, yeah. yeah when well, my sister Mary passed away, um, lived in the city of New Bedford. I don't think she was ever on a plane. We, you know, sometimes we thought her world was small because it was like limited to the city of New Bedford and Fairhaven. It would be equivalent to Raleigh and Cary and Morrisville, okay. not even that far away, but. But within that circle, what a life she had. Yeah. It's just amazing. I mean, she would go to this coffee shop and have coffee with these gentlemen who owned pigeons, and they'd talk to her about the pigeons. And then she'd go to another place and do the Kino scratch tickets with a couple of other guys, and, okay. and they'd talk about that. And so when she passed away, the line of people came in with, and she had one guy who was a mechanic would take care So a guy comes in, he's got tools and and he's talking about my sister Mary, and she made him, she would make scarves for people, and then girls that worked at the different little restaurants, she made scarves and, and socks, and, and all these people are telling these, these stories, and, and then you realize her world wasn't small. No. Her world was so big within that circle. You yeah, because you can make it, I mean, just because yeah. the geographics, yeah. like the, the, That's right. <clears throat> the geographical area that right. you touch, yeah. I mean, like, the town they they live in that their house is in right. is about 1,400 people. Yep. And the biggest town in our whole county, which is basically connected to us, right. is about 7,000 people. So here is this town, or at least two towns together, of less than 10,000 people. Right. You know, And there's hundreds, hundreds of people that he was like their pseudo-father or yeah. stories that he, he yep. would tell or whatever, you know, yep. like... Yep. You know, all these people yeah. coming in and saying, "Oh yeah, your dad did yeah. this," or like, "You yeah. know, help me with that," or, or, you know, it was just yeah. incredible. Nice to hear, right? Yeah, it was yeah. incredible because, yeah. you know, I look at what I did for myself. You know, taking from what, like you said, you, what, how much did you learn from him right. and carry over into your own life? And I was completely honored to, you know, it's Facebook and people like want to like, you know, they see something and they want to react or whatever right. type thing. But to have over literally over 500 people from all over the world send me wow. messages and text messages and comments and all this yeah. shows me that I just took what he did yeah. in his little area yeah. and just magnified it. Yeah. You know, because like I've traveled all over the world. Well, what know? a nice legacy he left for you, though. I mean, there could have been some people at that funeral saying, you know, your father stuck me some money. He owed me some money. Right. No, your father did this. I mean, so it's wonderful to hear that when you look back at your parents or your ancestors, you say, wow, they were honorable, they were respectful, you know, they cared yeah. for others. Uh, yeah. So you're blessed in that sense, you know. The other cool thing was actually the priest that did the funeral mass actually worked three summers with my dad at the county garage while he was in college. So even he had his own stories to tell, like during the yeah. homily and stuff. Yeah. And because uh, my dad was always a man of few words. So, like, Bree told me this story, and I didn't realize it was um, like this had even happened because it happened yeah. between her and him. Yeah. And they connected very deeply on a very deep level. Yeah. He came here and visited us for 10 days, and like they really connected, and we talked yeah. and all that. But we were up in Ohio, and he just came up and put his hand on her shoulder and looked her in the eye and nodded and squeezed, gave her a squeeze and like walked away. And, like That was his way of... That's the yeah. way he worked. That, yeah. that was his way of like saying, like, yeah. I don't have words to say but I can do this and you'll know what yeah. I mean and the yeah. priest is saying you know whenever he uh, he would never want to argue or like deal with anything so like 
he would just like listen for a little bit and he'd go, eh. And like wave his hand at you and walk away. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's like, same thing with like, the people would stand be standing around this hole, like one, not wanting to jump in there and do this job because it's right. dirty and gross or whatever, and then you want to do it. And in. he would just jump in there and just start working. It's got to get done, so we'll either yeah. do it now or do it later. But yeah, you know, yeah. rather than pushing it off to someone else, I'll, I'll yeah, jump in like, and do it myself. If you guys aren't going to do it, I'll do it. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, uh, I hope I'm not being redundant, but no, not at all. Um, I told you that I, I graduated from high school and worked in a mill, and then I was a milkman. Yeah. And then the company that I worked for was named Gulfield Dairy, but I also would service a man that owned machines, and I put milk in his machines in the mills and the schools, and they're, okay. they're little gills of chocolate milk and vanilla. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. So, Makes sense. Uh, so that particular man that on that machine business also sold like peanut butter crackers and syrups and coffee syrup and chocolate syrup and, and you know candy bars and, and when my father had his luncheonette he sold my father all this stuff you know for my father's business so my father had to close his business at the end of uh, of his tenure with the business because and he went bankrupt so that gentleman, like years later, when I talked to him, he said, Bob, I wanted to tell you, talk to you about your dad. I said, yeah, okay. He said, you know, your dad went bankrupt and he owed me $1,000. He came in here every week and gave me $25, $40 a week till it was paid for. Oh, wow. I said, no It matters. Yeah. You know, and well, I do the same thing. I, I have people that I owe money to right now, but yeah. I call them and I make sure that yeah. they know that yeah. I'm giving, making an effort towards right. that. Like, right. and it's not like big corporations. Like, right. there's a lot of people I owe money to, like corporate co- right. credit card stuff or right. whatever. Right. While I was building my business, and I'm like, you know what, you guys, the little bit I owe you yeah. isn't going to affect yeah. your world in any yeah. way. Yeah. But a personal relationship, like a guy that. A very local small business. The guy that owns the business answers the phone himself every time yeah, I call. Yeah, yeah. I know him by first name. He owes me yeah, when I call him, yeah. and I was like, I really appreciate you helping me out yeah, with this yeah. and working with me. He goes, No, no, by all means, it's not a not a yeah. problem at all. Let's see, this you know? is something passed on to you from your parents. You know? Yeah, because you have so to care that, for the that, personal relationship. Yeah, you know? that, that's my point. That it's wonderful to have a legacy of, of a good reputation rather than a Absolutely. legacy of a, a bad reputation. You know, your father did this, your parents did this, or they did that. But to, to hear stories many, many years later about some stuff they did that you didn't even know about. Yeah. So. Right. That to him was just like this, it's just life. It's just everyday yeah. life, and like yeah. this is how I live. And, yeah. you know, like the amount of people he cared for and taught yeah. and, yeah. you know, had this, these interesting ways of lessons where he yeah. would just like share some... Plus, too, your, your dad was younger than me, but uh, in, in just the conversation we've had over the years, that he didn't have a lot of stuff, but uh, he shared his stuff. You know? Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, he never really had, I mean, he didn't live a big life. Right. You but know? whatever he had, he, yeah. he shared with people and, and his family. You know? Nope, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's, been, uh, it's been pretty amazing to, like, think back to all, on all of it. Yeah. you know already and uh, there was something I I mentioned right before we started recording this was um, 
<clears throat> I've been going to this thing. It's an organization, international organization, actually called Death Cafe, and we just—it's people that are around death as an occupation. Whether yeah. you're an EMT or you're yeah. a funeral director, or you're a nurse. There's an oncology nurse yeah. there. There's yeah. um, death doulas, and there's all these yeah. different people. And we just have food and coffee, and we have roundtable conversations and different things about the topic. And it makes it more normalized. Like, it's just part of life. Yeah. We're going to talk to it just like we're talking about business or talking about whatever. And yeah. it's just like, it creates this normalcy to it. And I was really blown away, like, by doing that four times, leading up to everybody hearing my story when I do my introduction, like I'm here for my dad because of all the things he's going through and I don't know when he's gonna leave me and I just wanna make sure I'm ready mm -hmm. for when that happens. And to share that story with them. And then I went back last week on Wednesday and they had a death cafe. And I went there and I was like, I told everybody what happened and like he had finally mm -hmm. passed and all this and thanked them and, and it was like, the article I read prior to that, they said, you know, to heal from grief, it needs to be witnessed by another person. Mm. You can't grieve, you can grieve alone, but the healing comes from sharing. Yeah. And to sit, to sit there in, in front of 40 people and to share my stories of, of the funeral and share my, mm. the, the beautiful things that we did yeah. for him and like, you know, the different experiences yeah, right. was so incredibly powerful yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So heal from that. Yeah. You know, for yeah. people that are letting you, because some people we start even bring up anything about death, and like, well, I don't, I don't feel like talking right. about that right now. Right. So, but to have forty people that are truly like, I a lot of people come up to me afterwards. They're like, I really want to like, I was really impressed by how you explained mm -hmm. your experience or how mm -hmm. like, you know, what you did and how you said it and different things like that. But one of the things in my head that I was preparing for for a year was to be able to stand in front of church, in front of everybody, at the podium, and be able to speak proudly of my father without being overly emotional, without being, without breaking down, be able to stand there and go, here's a man that deserves this yeah. honor of me being able to do yeah. that. Yeah. You know, and that was my goal for a whole year, was to be able to do that. You know, on the other side of this, Joe, it, it was easy, easy for, easier for me to deal with the death of my mother and my father, not as easy with my sister. Very difficult losing a 38-year-old daughter. I can't even, like, I can't, I can't even fathom I mean, that. Um, not supposed to happen. Yeah. So, difficult. Yeah. Um, when I think of, um, and not to, like, downplay yours, because I can't, I can't even imagine, like, fathom this, but I think of like what my dad went through, but you know, I grew up very stoic because I've watched right. how much pain came from these two people alone, yeah. just his mother and him. Yeah. My grandmother buried three husbands, five children, and two in-laws before she passed away. Wow. So, and then to go from that to what my dad went through, right. like almost dying 12 times, or 11 times, and then the 12th one got him. But like, when people ask me when I'm in here, they're like, how are you still going? How are you not tired? How are you not like just fed up with like how slow this is going or whatever? And I was like, I literally have nothing worth complaining about. When I put my life in perspective of what my grandmother went through, 
my dad losing five brothers and sisters in two and a half years. Yeah. You know, like, there's literally nothing I have the right to really complain about. Yeah. 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 You know, like, you went through pieces of that. He went through, like, both of them went through so much more. Yeah. So to put my life in any sort of perspective, yeah. I... It's just hard because I, I was not angry with God, but I didn't understand and still don't understand. Yeah. Because uh, he had a two-year-old and a six-year-old, but on the other hand, I, I couldn't do it without a God. Yeah. I just couldn't. I yeah. just couldn't. I could, I, I'm not strong enough to do it without trying to do it on my own. Uh, so, uh, so different. There are different situations in, in life and death that affect you really differently. Easier when the person's older. Not as easy when they're young. You know, yeah. Trying to understand that and and uh, just pray that that they will find cures for all of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I still wonder, like, you know, not not to throw in any sort of like weird conspiracy or whatever, but like it, you know, money is such a like a powerful thing in our world. Like, it just always makes me wonder, like, how many of these things do we have, like, something for? Right, and I, I want to see the good in everybody. I want to yeah. see the good in people, right? But I also see how yeah. capitalism works, and I see how materialism works, yeah. and I see how the false ego drives people to want more. Yeah. Or like, we created the world of WIFM. Like, what's in it for me? Yeah. You know, and if you look at, you know, look out how the Bible's written about, you know, yeah. compassion and caring and helping yeah. others and serving. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. have we lost some of that to where? We're not working for the future. Yeah, I don't think that's ever changed, though. It's yeah. always been about money. No, it has. I mean, you it's can always, trace it all the way back. Like yeah, it's yeah, all the way back. But it does make me wonder, like, with some of these billionaires, you can't take it with you. Yeah. You can't put it in a truck and take it with you. I mean, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. I mean, why not do something for society? Why not do something that can help cure something, pay for the research, you know? Yeah. Um, but like we had mentioned before, though, too, I had said this, is like, you know, being so far removed from one to, to here, right. right? We don't always get to see how much they actually do in their world. Like, yeah. Warren Buffett is a huge philanthropist. Yeah. Gives yeah, tons of money. Gates. Does all these engagements. Like, yeah. Right? So... But there are a lot of other other people No, absolutely. There, absolutely. You know, I mean... I, th- I think the, the biggest difference in that because they said seven out of seven ever said excuse me seven out of ten billionaires are self-made they fought like hell to get right. where they've gotten to right and the difference you see is that the people that fought like hell are the ones that give are the ones that give right. the ones that were given billions right. and never had to work for it and never had to become right. a truly genuine grateful right. person Right, because I see the difference. You see the people that win the lottery that go bankrupt in six years, yeah. right? Because they didn't earn, they didn't fight like hell to right. get there. Right. They were just given it. And they didn't know how to deal with being at the top with right. not building a foundation underneath of it. So what you see by Gates working his ass off and Jobs did the same thing and Warren right. Buffett and these guys that right. fought like hell to get right. to where they're at, 
tend have a tendency to give the most back. Yeah. You know, because that's what um, there's a woman that Spanx. I don't know if you're familiar with those. They're like um, an undergarment for women, and she was the youngest female billionaire. And she used to hide out in the you know the circle clothing racks at the department stores, and she would hide out in there and like kind of sneak out and like sell people her stuff at the department store because they know <laughs> we would carry her stuff, yeah. or she'd hide out in the elevators and stuff. But one of the quotes that she had that I really liked is said, more money only makes you more of the person you already were. Because it just gives you more resources to be able to do more of what you wanted to do to begin with. She goes, one of my favorite things to do is to walk into a restaurant and go up to the front desk and pay all the tabs in the whole place yeah. and then walk out. Yeah. And not, not say a word to anybody. Yeah. Right? And nobody knows what happened or who did it or anything. Yeah. You know? So... I think that's where that yeah. that separation is. Because kids that are, there's a, Joe Rogan says this on one of his podcasts where he said, you know, show me a great man that's a son of a great man, right? Because if, if you have a trust fund for your trust fund for your trust fund for your trust fund, yeah. you're not, you're never going to struggle. Yeah. You can just flail around through yeah. life and that's like, good point. you know, and no matter what you do, you always have a backup. You always have something to get you out of it. Yeah. You always have some way to buy yeah. buy your way out of yeah. it. So you're not you're not you you lose that that compassion or that struggle yeah. or that yeah. gratitude for yeah. the smallest thing. Yeah. Because like ah, I can buy anything I want. I don't care about you guys. You just yeah. you little peasants. You live down there, right? Yeah. So that's kind of how I separate those people out that way. Yeah. yeah. You know, because I saw uh, there's a picture floating around of Jeff Bezos in 1994 sitting at his desk with his handmade Amazon banner on the side of his wall and that's how he started he drove every package himself down to the post office in his blazer and sent it out like that was yeah. the beginning of Amazon yeah you know? Amazing. Yeah. and he fought like hell and he never gave up he just kept yeah. evolving it and studying it and working with it and you keep building this thing it's no different than um you're building a giant art project. That's why I call it mine all the time. It's my adult, my adult art project. But you're never actually done molding it. It's like yeah. a sculpture that's your life your life work that's a sculpture. You know, and you just keep working on it. You don't know what it's going to turn never, into. It's never done. It's never done. Yeah. You know, or people are like, if you want to open a coffee shop, you can open a coffee shop and watch all your competitors and go, yeah. here's your coffee shop, right? They do all this. You all talk to all the people that have already done it. You know, so all the systems are kind of in place, and you're like, okay, you need to buy this, 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 and this. And open, hire your staff, teach them, done, you're open. Right. But when you're creating something that doesn't exist, it's never done. And that's what you get that, that feeling out of it. It's like to build this thing that's, that's new. Okay, that didn't work. Let's try a little bit more of that, less of this. And you're constantly like, you're, you're steering your ship, this giant ship. Yeah. Around. You know. And then when you when you're doing that, then you could get people on board to think the same way as you too. Exactly. exactly. And that's not always easy. No, not at all. Uh-huh. You know, because like I, the way I work in here is that around the idea that it said be the change you want to see in the world. Now I'm gonna I hold fast to what I feel the world could be, yeah. and that's why I don't change. But going back to Dad, that was him. He always had his hands in something. And he always was learning something. Yeah. Because you never know when you learn that one little thing, how much is, you're like, oh, shit, because I learned that. If I can take this little nugget off of what I just learned out of that yeah. and use it for this. 
and you just keep going, you keep building this thing. Because he always says, I'm a ma uh, jack, the jack of all trades, master of none. You know? And like, I don't feel I'm a master of anything. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I would say, uh, the more I learn, the less I know. And the less I know, the more I learn. Yeah. Because you just, the more you keep figuring it out, and I'm sure the point where you're at right now too in your life is like, sometimes you've learned so much you feel stupid. <laughs> where you're like, you realize you still don't know anything. Well, yeah, I, you know, I'm at a point and say, whoa, geez, there's so much, so many things I don't know. And then there are things I just realize. Wow, I feel blessed to get to this point, 81, and just realizing this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. I mean. So there's a question I thought I had this morning. It will we'll actually end it with this. Is um, let's pick an age. Let's say. You're 81 now, so I think a good age range for people right now, if you could go back to 16, 16-year-old yep. Bob, and you're 81-year-old Bob now, what is one lesson that you would tell your 16-year-old self that you feel would help you the most through your life? Oh, boy. <clears throat> Let me think of that a minute here. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I was going to say, because I didn't go to college right away, you know. But I did go anyway, so right. I'm not sure that the right timing that I did go was the proper time. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, I'll have to think about that one, Joe. Maybe that's that's a, fine. We can we can come back to that one yeah. next time. So but what was the question again? If I so, was so 16, we'll, we'll say if, what, what would I change? What? Well, no. One lesson that you've learned between 16 and 81 that if you could go back to 16 and tell yourself, remember this lesson, don't ever forget it, that would help you the most times throughout your entire life. Whether it's how to, to manage money or how to um, that, find gratitude been, or find... Yeah, that, that's a good point right there. Or, or, or to be in the moment mm -hmm. and not like, I'm in the moment, but I'm thinking, I'm always thinking about out there and... and Sometimes you have to be in the moment and figure out how to get out there, you know? Like, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, because I think that really, um, I think we can dive really deep into that one and really kind of try to, we can make a whole, we can do our whole next session on that. Yeah. Because we can think of a lot of different lessons that we've learned in our lives and how, to, how it would have impacted something differently. Um, one thing of mine is the one I just mentioned was teaching your kids how to manage money I've made a lot of money in my life and when I look back I'm like where did it all go but then I look at people like I always had friends in high school that always had thousands of dollars in their savings account and all this money all the time I'm like how do you guys have all this money like I work all the time but I have no money yeah. but my parents were never big on they wouldn't discuss finances they wouldn't discuss money they wouldn't discuss things like that so we just never learned about it mm. and I'm like if I think about like the you know, the seven years I made $70,000, but I was in my early 20s. I mean, how much do you know in your early 20s about having $70,000 a year, right? But if I would have had that and invested it the whole time, mm. where would I have been now, right? That would have changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. Yeah. But maybe I wouldn't have worked as hard the last 10 years building what I'd have yeah. through struggle and through fighting to right. get there instead of having like, Oh, I have a million dollars in my investment account. I can just build my company, and then like mm -hmm. now it's bankrupt in two years. 
where right now I've fought like hell for 10 years to build something with, with little to no money. Yeah. You know, but I think that it's just one of those things I, I wish I would have known a little bit more about earlier that would have maybe changed mm -hmm. how I looked at other things. But being in the moment, that was, uh, there's a game, a uh, Chinese game uh, someone's telling me about, it's called Go. And it's just a board game with all these little black and white little beads basically and you play this game. Mm -hmm. And uh, this guy told me this because he teaches it at Montessori schools. And uh, he said this rule of the game and it really plays into being in the moment. Right? He goes, if you try too hard to win, you'll lose. Yeah. Right? And that's that being in the moment. That's being like, yeah. if you're yeah. enough in the moment and you're going, okay, so here's where I'm trying to get to. Here's my end game. That as far as out I can see, maybe it's three years out. And reverse engineering backwards. And now I'm in the moment I'm in and I'm trying to get to where I'm going. That's my aim. Right? And if you're enough in the moment, every tiny little right or left or yes or no or good or bad or how you treat somebody or whatever yeah. keeps you going towards your aim. Yeah. But if you're not in the moment, you're going to miss one of the simplest things that could have aimed you a different direction or kept you going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a thought, but I lost it. But um, I was thinking, I, I wish when I was 16 that I would have had more confidence in myself. Yeah. Because my whole lifetime, I have felt like I'm okay. Yeah. I, I never believed in my abilities enough, even huh. to this day. That uh, So I wish I would have had more of that. But I, I, again, a background I had was very humble. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, I think having that hum humility is valuable because yeah, I was brought up that way. But not, not to a point where it doesn't help you feel confident, confident. about yourself. Absolutely. I know that feeling well. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I didn't get my, I never felt that way until recently yeah. where I feel a little more confident in what I built, confident in what, yeah. you know, because even like building stuff I have and I'm like I look around all this garbage that's in the store like these little trinkets of things that come from China that, are, that right. people spend all this money on that's going to break in three days right. and I look at what I built and I'm like why are you so af afraid or not confident to share with the world what you build when there's people making millions of dollars off these little trinkets of, of yeah. trash that don't really do anything other right. than make you happy for 30 right. seconds so yeah, I totally get the whole thing. Yeah. No, I, I do remember my thought when you're talking about advancing uh, and trying too hard. Sometimes you try so hard you get in your own way. Yeah. You know? And yeah. sometimes you just have to back off and step back a little bit and and, yeah. and go a little slower and think about it. So. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, this is, uh, I think it was one of our best ones yet. Yeah, so. it was good. It was interesting. Yeah. Thank you again for taking the time to listen. I look forward to sharing more with you on future episodes. If you need to contact me, you can reach me at anothernewperspective101 at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Have an awesome day.